Come follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, Season 2. This is a weekly podcast that follows my study of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each week, I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found online at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more fun, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Savior Said. Please note, episodes of The Savior Said are not meant to replace your Come Follow Me experience, but to supplement your own personal study of the scriptures. Hey guys, welcome back to The Savior Said. This is Season 2, Episode 8, and this is the assignment for February 17th through 23rd, 2 Nephi 11 through 25, We Rejoice in Christ. And if 2 Nephi 11 through 25 sounds like a lot of scripture reading, um, it is. Let me tell you, like there are a lot of chapters this week. And they're difficult chapters too. It's not like they're particularly easy chapters. It's a lot of Isaiah. So we're going to talk a little bit about how to make it a little bit easier. But first, I want to give a big shout out to the podcast Latter-day Lives. Latter-day Lives goes and they find, I guess, interesting people or people who are doing stuff and also happen to be members of the church. And they interview them about their lives and, you know, where they came from and how they got started on whatever project it is that they're working on. And they were so gracious and kind to ask me to be on one of their episodes. And so the episode is coming out on February 3rd. So go check out the podcast, Latter-day Lives. Look for me, Lexi Austin, in one of their episodes. It's going to be a lot of fun. So, um, And if you are coming to The Savior Said because you heard that episode and heard something you liked, well, welcome to The Savior Said. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're here to party with us. So um, here we go. We'll just keep partying on and rocking through the scriptures. So starting out, again, this is a lot of chapters. Um, it's probably one of the biggest reading assignments I can remember and Come Follow Me. We've got maybe about 14 chapters here. And so it's a big old honking piece. And it made me wonder, like, why would they put this many chapters that are so difficult and hard to understand together into one assignment? And then I went in and I started actually reading the assignment. And I was like, whoa. So I felt this week as I was reading these chapters, this is what it felt like to me. It felt like I'd been tossed into a stormy sea and like I would come up for air and there would be little bits and pieces of Isaiah that I'm like, okay, I can totally jive with that. I get where they're coming from. This testifies of Christ. Yes, I love it. And then the wave would come over and hit me again and we'd start talking about cannibalism or Babylon and I'm like lost again, right? And then I get to the other side and we get to 2 Nephi 25 and it's Nephi and he's testifying of Christ. And I'm like, oh, land, we reached land. Okay, finally, you know, because if you go in and you start reading this Isaiah stuff, like it gets weird. There's some weird stuff in here, y'all. Yeah, this, the reading this week was a little difficult, but we're going to talk about why I think that was okay here in a minute. So we're starting out with the introduction and come follow me. It says engraving on metal plates is not easy and space on Nephi's small plate was limited. So why would Nephi go to the tedious effort of copying a large amount of Isaiah's writing into his record? Good question, Come Follow Me, because I wondered the same thing. Um, Come Follow Me goes on to talk about he has all kinds of different things about the millennial peace and the coming of the Messiah and the gathering of Israel. And so it gives us, you know, places to rejoice and things like that. But um, most of the time I was just left being like, huh, as I was reading. So, okay, we had a really good high counselor speaker. (laughs) 
Oh, that sounds like an oxymoron. But this this actually wasn't. This high counselor speaker was actually really good and interesting. Um, in one of the wards that I was attending recently, and he started talking about Mormon and Mormon's journey to abridge the Book of Mormon and to create this record, you know, his kind of how he put everything together. And he talked about how Mormon sat down and he had this like vast library of all these different prophets and their writings and things like that. And he had to choose with the Spirit's help. He had to choose the things that would be most beneficial for our day. And we can actually go in and see that in Words of Mormon 1. In verse 4, he says, And the things which are upon these plates pleasing me because of the prophecies of the coming of Christ, and my fathers knowing that many of them have been fulfilled, yea, and I also know that as many things have been prophesied concerning us down to this day have been fulfilled, as many as go beyond this day must surely come to pass. In 5, Wherefore, I choose these things to finish my record upon them, which remainder of my record I shall take from the plates of Nephi. And I cannot write the hundredth part of the things of my people. But behold, I shall take these plates, which contain these prophesyings and revelations, and put them with the remainder of my record, for they are choice unto me, and I know they will be choice unto my brethren. 7. And I do this for a wise purpose, for thus it whispereth to me according to the workings of the Spirit of the Lord which is in me. And now I do not know all things, but the Lord knoweth all things which are to come, Wherefore, he worketh in me to do according to his will. So we see there that Mormon is working with the Spirit to compile the Book of Mormon. So was Nephi too. And so they both left these chapters of Isaiah in the Book of Mormon where they didn't have a whole lot of wiggle room, right? And they both saw, or I guess in Mormon's case, he was kind of led by the Spirit to the needs of the things that we would need in our day. These chapters got included because of that. And so I'm this week trying to kind of, trying to put two and two together, like our day, but then Isaiah and these weird writings that seem just kind of weird, and putting them together, and what do they mean, and I had some thoughts. We're going to go through it. Okay, let's keep going with Come Follow Me, though. It starts out, the first section is, how can I better understand the teachings of Isaiah? Nephi acknowledged that for some, the words of Isaiah are not plain. I'm raising my hand here. This is me. I'm not plain. This can certainly be true for those who aren't familiar with ancient Jewish culture and geography like Nephi was. They go into a couple other things, and we're going to talk about those in a minute too, but the talking about the Jewish culture and geography, like that was something I'm like, well, why don't I become familiar with the geography and what was going on in the Jewish culture while Isaiah was writing? And so I went in and I started looking at it and I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot even understand a tenth of like what was going on, you know, politically, culturally, geographically, like there were all kinds of kingdoms fighting with each other and there are promises that were being made to the Lord and different prophets and different kings. And I mean, it was like back and forth and there's allies and there was enemies and yeah, it got real confusing real fast. So I got really discouraged with that. I started, you know, I was praying like crazy this week, like Heavenly Father, help me to understand these words because right now I am not understanding them. And I feel like I'm trying everything in my power to understand them. Why would you do this? Like, why would you make this so difficult, Heavenly Father? The feeling I kind of got was any other time where I have really, really struggled with come follow me scripture assignment, I have found a new resource that has been very beneficial for me. Some of the resources I found last year was I found the Enduring Word Bible Commentary, and that was like so valuable to me as I went through my study of the New Testament. I also found the New Testament made easier, which then this year I went and got the Book of Mormon made easier by David Bridges. And both of those commentaries are just like totally valuable and make my study so much better. So I was like, surely out there, there is going to be some tool for understanding Isaiah 
that I'm going to find and it's going to make my life so much easier. And so I sat down and I started looking for someone who had just gone through and compared the chapters in Isaiah to the chapters in Nephi because it says compare. So there's got to be differences in there, right? And so I was like, well, what are the differences and who's compared it? Because I can't be the first one who's ever wondered this. So I go out there and I find this website that is amazing, guys. So if you, like me, are seriously struggling with the Isaiah chapters this week, you need to go to searchisaiah.org. Searchisaiah.org. Okay. They are amazing. They have it where you can go through the Nephi chapters like side by side and they compare and contrast like what Isaiah says with what Nephi says. And then they also have commentary on it and it kind of explains it to you. But best of all, they have what they call four keys to hack Isaiah from Nephi. You know, the Nephi chapters. There's four keys to hack what what he's saying there. So search hacks. Here we go. I'm going to quote some of the stuff that they have on their website, but I'm also going to post this link to their website on my blog. I'll post it on my social media, Facebook and Instagram. Instagram, guys, I just feel so bad because I use so many links and Instagram just doesn't like link well, but I'll put it up there so you guys can kind of figure out where to find it. But so here, here are some of the hacks that they recommend. The first one is learn after the manner of prophesying among the Jews. Okay, so learn after the manner of prophesying among the Jews. Isaiah was what LDS scholar Victor Ludlow called a deliberately difficult prophet. Conceal what you're going to say. Never use the same noun twice when referring to a person, group, or place. Example, Isaiah uses five different names to describe the same place in one instance. Speak of future events in past times because you saw the future yesterday in a vision. In fact, have no time frame. Move in and out of past and present and future without telling the reader what you're doing. Use complex symbolism rather than simple parables. Never let anyone know whether you're being literal or figurative. All of these come under the heading of the manner of prophesying among the Jews. And the quote that Search Isaiah takes this from is from John, by the way's Nephi's Keys to Understanding the Isaiah Chapters. And John, by the way, has a whole book on this called Isaiah for Airheads. And I'm definitely going to be purchasing that because I I would love to, as an airhead, understand more of Isaiah. So um, John, by the way, I'm coming for you. I'm going to purchase that book. It's really good. We see here that Isaiah is deliberately being difficult. And I'm not sure why he chose to do that. Um, I, I'm not that much of a scriptural scholar to understand like why he was being deliberately difficult, but he was. And I think a lot of the different things that we don't get are cultural references to some of the political intrigue and stuff that was going on in his day that we just don't understand the history of. And honestly, I don't have the time or energy to go in and understand the history of right now. That's something maybe later on in my life I could look at, at the history of ancient Israel, but, um, in the particular like time of my life, I do not have the time or energy to do all that. So I'm going to rely on others who have done that, like John, by the way, and scriptural scholars who have done that and kind of take some of their commentary. All right, the second thing, second hack that searchisaiah.org recommends is have the spirit of prophecy. Now, if we remember from last year from our New Testament Come Follow Me studies, the spirit of prophecy is a testimony of Christ. So as you are studying these chapters, look for Christ. And I did that last night. I actually went through and I read the entire reading and with a highlighter. And I highlighted all the spots where I saw Christ. And again, it was a lot like 
swimming in that churning sea and coming up for air and being like, oh good, this is about Jesus. And then a wave comes and I just sink back down and then I find another verse. Oh good, this is about Jesus. And, you know, just coming up and taking those little breaths of air where it's talking about Jesus and then being tossed under where it starts talking about dragons and peeping wizards. And, you know, I'm like, oh gosh, this is so weird. But so looking for Jesus in this, okay? Hack three, know the regions roundabout. So know the basic general geography, okay? So Nephi grew up in an area there in Jerusalem where he would have been very familiar with the cultures roundabout, very familiar with the history that was was happening there. Um, You know, he knew all that. And there's actually a really good quote here on Search Isaiah where they say, there's maps of the Holy Land in your scriptures that might be helpful, but if you feel lost, take heart. You are in good company. One day, while the prophet Joseph Smith was translating the Book of Mormon, he looked up and asked, Emma, does Jerusalem have a wall around it? She said, yes, Joseph, Jerusalem has a wall around it. Everybody knows that. He said, oh, thank goodness. I thought I was being deceived. And he went on translating the record. And that's from Events in the Life of a Prophet, Elect Lady, LDS Church News, 1994. If Joseph Smith didn't know that much about Jerusalem while translating, then we don't need to feel lost as we begin to learn our Holy Land geography. I suggest that you can remember just four kingdoms and you'll be in great shape. And actually, I'm going to add the fifth one on there. So the kingdoms that we need to know are Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Israel, and Syria. And if you actually go look at the map, and I'll put a map, you know, in the blog and social media and whatnot, it looks like a giant upside down banana. I want you to think of a giant upside down banana, okay? So the base of the banana, like the stem where you would split it open, is Egypt. So you have Egypt down at the bottom of this banana. It's kind of on like the southwest side bottom of the banana. And, you know, Egypt is really important to the kingdom of Israel because, of course, that's where they were, you know, freed from. Then they were lost in the wilderness before they finally found the land of Judah, Jerusalem, which is the next part of our banana, is Judah. So we have Judah right there. That's going to be the first little part of our banana. As the banana goes upwards, it goes a little bit northwards, then we run into the kingdom of Israel. So we have Israel up above Jerusalem, and then going along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, we go in our banana up into Syria, and then Assyria, and our banana's kind of curving around at this point, and we're coming back down to the end of our banana, and we find Babylon. Okay, so it's kind of like this big arc that you've got all these different countries. And so Isaiah references each one of these countries. So why would he reference each one? Because each one actually has a different kind of cultural and political significance. So search Isaiah. This is what they list their significance as. We already talked about Egypt. Egypt's Egypt's significance is that that's where they were freed from. Okay, so they have a history of oppression with Egypt. Then we have Assyria, which is the military superpower in the northeast. So that's kind of like at the top of the arc in like the northeast corner of our little graph that we've got. We have Babylon, which is the cultural and commercial center to the east. That's on the end tip of the banana, which is an apostate kingdom. And it's just north of Judah. So it's just north of Jerusalem. So it's exactly right there above Jerusalem to the north. And then above that, like the middle part of the banana, the most northern part of the banana is Syria, and Syria is up there. So when they talk about the Syrians or the Assyrians, Syria and Assyria, different countries, okay? So that was something, too. I thought that they were the same thing, and so knowing that they were two different places was interesting to me. And then also that Israel was not the same as Judah at this point, that they considered Israel to be apostate was also interesting to me. But it also made some of the writings a little bit clearer. 
I don't know if that helps or not. Okay, so that was their search hack number three. Search hack number four for understanding Isaiah is to live in the last days. Well, check, check. We got that worked out. And this is they say this because in 2 Nephi 25.8, Nephi says, I know that they shall be of great worth unto them in the last days. For in that day they shall understand them. Wherefore, for their good have I written them. But now I'm like, Nephi, dude, my dude, like, I do not understand what you are saying. I live in the latter days, and actually, for me, I feel like that makes it more difficult. But here's some reasons that Search Isaiah gives as to why living in the latter days helps us understand these chapters in Isaiah a little bit better. First one is that there's restoration scriptures that help identify the Isaiah passages. So the Book of Mormon helps us understand some of it, Doctrine and Covenants helps us understand, and Pearl of Great Price helps us understand. Two, synopses at the beginning of each chapter of Isaiah and the Book of Mormon are helpful summaries that help provide guidance in understanding doctrinal points. And that's true, too, because there were several times where I was reading a chapter and I'm like, what are they talking about? And I'd go back in and look at the chapter summary and I'm like, okay, well, I guess, oh, okay, that, that's what they're talking about. Good to know. All right, three, scriptural footnotes add clarifying comments and offer other references. I didn't find any of the scriptural footnotes to be particularly helpful, but that maybe I just wasn't looking at the right ones. Four, the LDS Bible Dictionary contains short articles on Isaiah, the kingdom of Israel, and the kingdom of Judah, which it does. You can go look at that. Five, maps of the Holy Land in the back of the scriptures and Old Testament Institute manuals are helpful. Eh, maybe, I don't know. That they weren't that helpful to me. It was more helpful, I think, to go in and look at some of the geographical maps of Isaiah's time. I just Googled it and found some really good ones. Six, modern prophets who have commented on Isaiah in their writings and general conferences. And you can actually see the LDS Scripture Citation Index, where church leaders have quoted Isaiah more than 4,000 times. Seven, books and articles from faithful LDS scholars on understanding Isaiah. So I think all of that, you know, if we were to package it up and swirl it all together— What basically comes out of it is the reason that it's easier for us to understand Isaiah in these days is because we have more resources. We have the entire internet to search and find other people who have gone through and done the work of understanding the geography and the prophesying of the Jews, the manner that they prophesy in, and we're able to see their commentary. And so that helps us kind of understand. So that was a very long-winded introduction to say, if you don't understand these chapters, it's okay. You're not alone, and those are some ideas that might help. So searchisaiah.org. It's going to be a new favorite tool of mine, and I definitely recommend that you go check it out. So when we go into Come Follow Me, they also have some search hacks for Isaiah, um, ideas to make Isaiah a little bit more understandable. They say, liken his words unto yourself. Many of Isaiah's teachings have multiple possible meanings and applications. For example, his writings might be about the scattering and gathering of Israel, might prompt you to think about your need to be gathered back to the Savior. Okay, so I was thinking about this this week because there is a lot where he's kind of chastising Israel and, you know, the people of Judah for various things that they're doing, and he's trying to gather them back up together. And I was like, well, how does that apply to my life? I mean, yeah, there's things that I need to stop doing and I need to be better about, but, you know, I didn't really feel a connection there. Well, you know, if you remember in my last episode, I was talking about some classes I was having trouble with at school and discipline and obedience and things like that. I was thinking about what, like, what motivates obedience, right? 
And so this week I tried something different at school, which was interesting to me. So usually I go in and I try to have like the most exciting library lessons I can. Because I'm like, if I can make these library lessons so exciting that they want to be in the library, then they'll be in there and they'll pay attention and it will be awesome. But instead what was happening is I was getting them all riled up and they were paying attention, but they were also talking at the same time and yelling at each other at the same time. And everyone was just getting amped up, right? So this week I was like, you know what? We're done. Like I'm done trying to do exciting lessons if they're just going to talk over me. So this week we tried something different and I called it mind spa, but really what it is is silent reading. So they came in, they had five minutes to go find a book. And then we sat down. I turned on some like relaxing music. We have a big smart board TV type thing. And so I put on a video of like sea turtles. So, you know, it was very relaxing. We kind of dimmed the lights a little bit, but they could still see the you know books that they were reading. And for 30 minutes, we just sat in silence and read. And so they had rules that they had. They could not get up out of their chair unless it was an emergency. They had to stay in their chair. And then they also had to read silently. They could not disrupt their neighbor next to them. If they chose not to read, they could put their head down and just stay silent for a little while. And there was going to be repercussions if they didn't follow those rules. And it was the most beautiful peaceful library time with these four classes that have been like the bane of my existence. All of a sudden with the structure in place, it was just so soothing. And I thought about that. And I thought about that, especially as the Lord is gathering Israel and as he gathers us and gets us to come to him. Sometimes I think we need a break from the world. And that's what these kids needed. They needed a break from their world of craziness. They needed a quiet, calm place, which where do we find the quiet, calm places in our lives? We find it at church. We find it in our own personal study of the scriptures. We find it in our own special time with our father in heaven. We find it in the temple, you know, those calm and quiet places. The other thing that was interesting to me was their reactions to the rules. You know, I thought that I was going to have lots of like fight back on the rules of like having to stay in your chair having to read quietly for 30 minutes, I thought there was going to be a little struggle there to get them to follow the rules. But instead, there wasn't. I was very surprised about that. Um, and all four of these classes with 25 plus kids in them, um, I didn't get any any struggle or fight against those rules. And it made me think that maybe these kids actually wanted these rules, like they wanted some structure and some guidance. And I think that in our lives, we turn to our Heavenly Father for structure and for guidance. And so as he's gathering Israel back in, what he's doing here in Isaiah is giving them some ways that they can shape up and kind of find that structure and guidance in their life. And it kind of gathers them back in to this quiet, calm place with the Lord when they're in the middle of this craziness that's going on with the different countries and stuff fighting each other and the different cultures that are like clashing together and um, finding the Lord in that like quiet, calm spot because they're following the things that he wants them to do. So that's kind of how I likened his words unto myself. Again, as always, guys, this is me likening the words unto myself. The way that you liken his words unto you is going to be totally different. Receive your own revelation. Make sure you're reading the scriptures and not just taking what I say as pure doctrine because it's not. It's revelation for me. Okay. I always like to put that caveat out there. All right. The next thing come follow me says is to seek to be filled with the spirit of prophecy. The best way to understand Isaiah's prophecies is to seek inspiration from the spirit. Pray for spiritual guidance. And I have done that like nonstop this week because I'm like, I do not understand what people eating flesh of other people like has to do with Christ. Like this is really confusing to me, Heavenly Father. So I have prayed like crazy about the scriptures this week. 
You may not understand everything all at once, or even, like I would say, I don't understand maybe even like 95% of it, but you know, the Spirit can help you learn what you need to know for your life today. And I think it did. Um, just some of the general themes that came up were was very comforting to me, like the obedience thing and the structure thing and the calming thing was interesting to me. And it says, you might also find it helpful to refer to the study helps in your scriptures, including footnotes and chapter headings, guide to the scriptures, and so on. Um, again, I found those chapter headings to be very helpful. So that is Come Follow Me's Hacks for Understanding Isaiah as well. Now that we've got all that in place, let's go to the next section and Come Follow Me, which is the right way is to believe in Christ. Okay, Nephi both introduced and concluded his quotation of Isaiah by expressing his testimony of Jesus Christ. And I love this part because Nephi, 2 Nephi 25, is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Book of Mormon. I love 2 Nephi 25 so much. So I was really glad that it was there in the readings this week that they didn't just chop off at the end of the Isaiah, but that they included that as well. Um, It was really good for me that they included that because that's where I felt like I finally got to land. You know, I'm like, okay, dry ground. I can stand on this, right? And get out of the choppy seas and kind of like, oh, we're testifying of Christ. Yes, yes. We're prophesying of Christ. We rejoice in Christ. Yes, I can get behind this Nephi. I finally understand something again. Thank you. Thank you. And so I'm really glad that that was included. What impresses you about his testimony? Okay, so let's talk about 2 Nephi 25 and what I particularly like about it. Come Follow Me directs us specifically to the verses 19 through 29 in chapter 25, but I think I actually want to start with verse 23. And it says, For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. Okay, so pausing there, I think, you know, both in the war in heaven before this life and also in the current spiritual war that we are all engaged in on a daily basis. It's always a war of ideology. It's a war of words and of ideas and, you know, spreading the gospel to as many people as we can to give them access to these ideas and knowledge about Jesus Christ. And so that's why we write. It's why I podcast. It's why we teach. And it's why we live the way we do so that we can convince others around us of Jesus Christ and of the importance of Jesus Christ in our life. And so I love that in 23, we do this to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ. Like that should be our why. You know, I hear about all the time. Remember your why. Remember why you're doing this. Why am I doing this podcast? Well, it's to help me become more converted to Christ. But if it can help anybody else, then yes, let's do that. Why are we going to church every Sunday? To help us believe in Christ, but also to strengthen our brethren, right? Why do we have primary? To help teach our children about Christ. Why are we doing Come Follow Me in our homes? To help teach our families about Jesus Christ. Like that is our why. And Nephi sets it up in verse 23 so clearly. And I love that. In 24, he talks a little bit about, even though we believe in Christ, we keep that law of Moses. We follow what God has taught us to do. And we know that one day it will be fulfilled. But for right now, we're telling, we're following what God has told us to do, which I think was very you know, faithful of him. And then we get to verse 26, which if you've listened to the podcast any amount of time, you know I quote this verse like all the time. 26, my favorite verse of the scriptures probably. We talk of Christ. We rejoice in Christ. We preach of Christ. We prophesy of Christ, which again, prophecy means testimony of Jesus Christ, right? And we write according to our prophecies or our testimonies of Jesus Christ that our children may know where to look for a remission of their sins. 
I love that so much. Not just the idea of talking about Christ and spreading the ideology of Christ and his mission here to earth and what he is to us, but also teaching our children, teaching those around us to follow Christ as well and to rejoice in him, to find joy in who he is and what he brings to us. I mean, that is amazing to me too. I don't know. I just really, really love that chapter a lot. So I'm really glad that they included that this week. And the next part of this section says, it talks about some different symbols. You might see a vineyard, a stone, which I do have to say that one was interesting to me. The stone being a symbol of Jesus Christ. It's from 2 Nephi eighteen fourteen, and it says, And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And yeah, I see all that about a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to, you know, yeah. So if they don't believe, then yeah, that he could be that. But I love the idea of Jesus Christ as a stone of sanctuary. Um, You know, a stone seems like something that's very immovable, like very permanent, that's been there for a long time and will continue to be there for a long time, not easily destroyed. And so I like the idea of seeking shelter kind of like, I don't know, underneath like a stone overhang or something in the middle of a storm. I like the idea of that kind of reminding me of Jesus Christ, where he gives me shelter in the storms of life. So I was like, okay, I can get behind that symbol. I like that. And then what other symbols of Jesus Christ do you find in these chapters? What do these symbols teach you about him? Well, I actually found an entire chapter that I absolutely loved. I don't know necessarily that it's like symbols. Well, there are some symbols in this chapter, but chapter 22, it was one of the spots where I felt like my head kind of rose above the water and I was able to grab some air. But here's chapter 22. It's like the shortest one in all of them. It's only six verses long. It says, And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He has also become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall you draw waters out of the wells of salvation. So there's there's a symbol right there, drawing water out of the wells of salvation. Yes, I can get behind that. And in that day you shall say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his doings among the people, and make mention that his name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for he hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. Oh, I love that. That is so beautiful. I love all the symbolic singing. I think that's going on in there because I know like, you know, I'm I'm okay. Like my vocal skills singing wise are okay. Like I've got a good choir voice. You know, if you've got a group of people, throw me in there and I can be a good strong support to others who have like much better vocal talents than my own. Um, I wish I was a better singer because I love music and I would love to be able to just pour my heart out through song. But honestly, that's not something that I have ever been particularly blessed with. So I don't necessarily know that the Lord is commanding me to sing. I think sing is much more of a symbolic singing here, um, where basically we promote the Lord. We tell about the Lord. We try and convert others to the Lord. You know, we pour out our hearts about the Lord and the goodness that his mercy has blessed us with in our lives. Like, you know, when we pour out our hearts, that's almost like singing to the Lord. Does that make sense? Um, that's kind of a symbol that I saw that reminded me of Jesus Christ and my relationship with him. I also love this, that thou comfortest me, comfortedest me. That's a, a big, long, hard word, but that you comfort me, right? You are my strength and my salvation. 
like, oh, this is a beautiful chapter. So in the middle of all the craziness, I'm really glad that we have this beautiful chapter because again, it was like coming up for fresh air in the middle of like a turning toiling sea. Like I came up for fresh air here in chapter 22. So, all right, let's go into the next section and come follow me. The proud and worldly will be humbled. Nephi had foreseen that pride would cause the downfall of his people. So it's not surprising that Nephi would share with his people Isaiah's repeated warnings against pride. And in chapters 12 and 13, look for words that Isaiah used to describe pridefulness, such as lofty and haughty. And it says, see also chapter 18, beware of pride. Okay, so I really liked the chapter 18, beware of pride from teachings of the presence of the church, Ezra Taft Benson. There was a really good couple of quotes in there that were really good, I thought. Um, He talks about pride does not look up to God and care about what is right. It looks sideways to man and argues who is right. And a lot of the other quotes that he has in here talks about caring much more about what man thinks about us, what our fellow men think about us, than what God thinks about us. And when we know whose will we're following, are we following what God wants us to do or are we following what the world wants us to do? When we follow what God wants us to do, then pride doesn't become an issue because we're not looking laterally against our fellow man, right? It was interesting to me um, because I am a people pleaser and I feel like a lot of times I live for the applause, um, like Lady Gaga. You know, I live for the applause, the applause, right? And he's got a quote in here. He says, Humility responds to God's will, to the fear of his judgments, and to the needs of those around us. To the proud, the applause of the world rings in their ears. To the humble, the applause of heaven warms their hearts. Okay? Um, and that's honestly something I have struggled with, with with this podcast, is why am I doing this? And when it started out, it was probably was for the applause of the world. There was definitely some of that in it. Um, you know, I had grand dreams of me standing on stage at various women's conferences and talking. And then when that actually, like the speaking engagements and stuff, invitations started coming in, I realized how much anxiety it would promote and how hard it was actually to do. And I'm like, yeah, it's not really worth it for the applause. But I do this now not for myself, not for the applause, but for my heavenly father. I do this podcast because I feel like it's something he wants me to do. And because I've really struggled, especially this year with what is my why? Why am I doing this podcast? Um, and because the podcast has grown like exponentially, the host, that platform that I host this podcast on keeps pressuring me to monetize it, like throw some ads in there. You can be making this much a month. You can be making this much money a year, you know, things like that. And from the very beginning, the deal I had with my heavenly father was I would not monetize this in any way that this would be a podcast I put out there, you know, just as a service to my fellow man that I would not make money from it. And, you know, getting this pressure again and again from the podcast host, I'm like, oh gosh, like, do I need to do this? Like what, what is going on? And, you know, it made me turn back to my heavenly father again. And with my why, why am I doing this podcast? Am I doing it to make money? No, no, that was never the intention of this podcast. And I feel like if I were to monetize it in any way that the spirit would withdraw and my heavenly father is definitely what writes most of these episodes, not me. So um, I definitely need him there because this is not me at all. This is all heavenly father's work. So it was very helpful to me to read these words of President Benson and realize what my why was. And my why is because I'm doing this because my heavenly father wants me to and to preach and share my love of Christ. You know, that's to rejoice in Christ. That's that's why I do this podcast and to become closer to him through studying the scriptures. And so I had to check myself on pride there a little bit, which was interesting. Um, it was kind of a struggle. 
Another part of the teachings of President Benson that was interesting to me was a part where it says the central feature of pride is enmity towards God and our fellow man. President Benson says, Pride is a very misunderstood sin, and many are sinning in ignorance. In the scriptures, there is no such thing as a righteous pride. It is always considered a sin. Therefore, no matter how the world uses the term, we must understand how God uses the term so we can understand the language of holy writ and profit thereby. Most of us think of pride as self-centeredness, conceit, boastfulness, arrogance, or haughtiness. All of these things are elements of the sin, but the heart or core of the sin is still missing. The central feature of pride is enmity. Enmity towards God and enmity towards our fellow man. Enmity means hatred towards, hostility to, or a state of opposition. It is the power by which Satan wishes to reign over us. Pride is essentially competitive in nature. We pit our will against God's. When we direct our pride towards God, it is in the spirit of my will, not thine be done. As Paul said, they seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. Our will in competition with God's will allow desires, appetites, and passions to go unbridled. Our enmity towards God takes on many labels, such as rebellion, hard-heartedness, stiff-neckedness, unrepentant, puffed up, easily offended, and sign-seekers. The proud wish God would agree with them. They aren't interested in changing their opinions to agree with God. I was like, ooh, that's a zinger right there. Like, I'm like, how many times have I tried to change God's opinion about something instead of, you know, changing my own? I'm like, that was, that was something I need to take to heart right there. Another major portion of this very prevalent sin is enmity towards our fellow man. We are tempted daily to elevate ourselves above others and diminish them. The proud make every man their adversary by pitting against their intellects, opinions, works, wealth, talents, or any other worldly measuring device against others. In the words of C.S. Lewis, pride gets no pleasure out of having something only out of having more of it than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being better than the rest. Once the element of competition has gone, pride has gone. I'm like, do you see how that was kind of like super zingers right there? Um, a lot of that, and that came from chapter 18 in the teaching of presidents of the church, Ezra Taft Benson, that Come Follow Me references. And I was like, this is a really good little sermon on pride. And I started looking at all the ways in my life where I have been prideful about stuff and I needed to be better about that and um, ways that I can be better about that and ways I can come closer to my Savior and love my fellow man more when I'm not being prideful towards them, you know? So that was a really good thing for me to think on this week as well. And then the final section in Come Follow Me, in the millennium, God's people will enjoy peace. It says, you might find it helpful to visualize yourself in the place of Nephi and his people. Imagine you fled from Jerusalem just before it was destroyed, and now you are part of the scattering of Israel. How might it have felt to read Isaiah's teachings about the future gathering of Israel and a peaceful millennium? You know, I have to wonder, I'm like, how did they feel about that? Because they would never see it, and they know that they would never see it, but they know that one day in the future, it would happen. Um, You know, I hope that the millennium will happen in my lifetime. It's not something that I know is going to happen in the future. It's something I hope for in this lifetime that I might get to see my Savior. And so I don't know how I would feel about it being far off. I'd never actually put myself in that place to actually wonder that. So I still struggle with it. I, I don't know how I would feel about that, not knowing that knowing that would not come in my lifetime. But I mean, I guess I would be grateful that I had escaped Jerusalem and the destruction thereon. But 
yeah, I think it would be hard to continue slogging on knowing that like it was coming in the future, but it wasn't here yet. You know, I don't know. That was a struggle for me to see this week. As Latter-day Saints, this is Come Follow Me, as Latter-day Saints, we have been called to help gather God's people in the latter days in preparation for Christ's millennial reign. As you read these verses, ponder how you are helping fulfill the prophecies they describe, and how do you feel inspired to do to help gather God's people? Okay, so let's look at the verses that they're talking about there. The first one is 2 Nephi 25.10, and it says, Wherefore it hath been told them concerning the destruction which should come upon them immediately after my father left Jerusalem. Nevertheless, they harden their hearts. According to the prophecy, they have been destroyed, save it be those which carried away captive into Babylon. So we've got that there where it's talking about the actual destruction that happened in Jerusalem. We talked a little bit about that in the last episode, so you can go listen to that. But other places where it talks about the millennium, let's look for that. Second Nephi 12, 2 through 5. And it shall come to pass in the last days when the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. So we read that and we automatically think of Salt Lake, right? But any time that the Lord uses mountaintop experiences in the scriptures, it's always not necessarily a place, but it's, a lot of times it's symbolic as well, um, where a mountain is a place where you get closer to God. So a mountain could be a place where I'm reading my scriptures. A mountain could be a place where, you know, when I'm in the temple, I'm, in a, I'm at a mountain because I'm getting closer to God, you know? So it shall come to pass in the last days when the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains that we get closer and closer to our Heavenly Father, especially through the temple of the Lord's house there. It will be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. When we have the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings us closer to our Heavenly Father, all nations of the world shall flow into it. Um, that's what I see in that verse. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up into the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord out from Jerusalem. I see lots of temple symbolism there. And then I'm going to skip to five. O house of Jacob, come ye, and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Okay, let's look at another section of scripture that Come Follow Me has for us. It's Second Nephi 21, 9 through 12. And it says, And they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. To someone who's always tired, that rest shall be glorious sounds pretty awesome. And shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand against the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt, from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar, the Hamath, and the islands of the sea, which is us. That's, that's us, guys. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. And I think... How are we involved in the gathering of Israel? You know, our prophet, President Nelson, has asked us to be involved in family history work and to be involved in missionary work and to pray for that. And I have found a lot of joy in doing family history work. And so I recommend that to you, especially if you're dealing with any sort of mental illness or anything like that. There was a really good article that came out recently. Um, it's on churchofjesuschrist.org, and it came out on January 30th. It's called How Family History Can Combat Feelings of Anxiety and Depression. And it says it's from a whole like series of healing blessings of family history based on Elder Dale G. Renlund's talk in April 2018 General Conference called Family History and Temple Work, Sealing and Healing. So go back and read that talk, um, especially if you're interested in how gathering Israel can help you 
be healed. Um, I think that that's a really interesting way to heal ourselves and to bring ourselves closer to the mountain of the Lord and to bring others closer to the mountain of the Lord as well. So go check out that talk. I think it's really pretty good. We're not going to go too deep into it because I really want you guys to go read it for yourselves and get kind of your own personal revelation for it, but it's really good. Okay. The last thing I want to talk about is not in Come Follow Me in any way at all, but it is in the reading this week. So I want to talk about Isaiah because this is one of my favorite stories of Isaiah. And this is the story of how Isaiah got his calling as a prophet. Um, And it's in chapter 16 in 2 Nephi. And it says, I'm just going to read it to you and then kind of tell you what I think is going on. In the year that King Azuziah died, I don't know how you say his name, Azuziah, Uziah, I don't know. I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And it stood the seraphim, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, with twain he covered his feet, with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So right there, you know, we just have the Lord and we have angels that are praising him. I'm just going to go with that. I don't know what the other symbols mean. So we're just going to go with that. Okay. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke. So I see this as Isaiah having a vision. And in five, this is Isaiah talking. Then said I, Woe is unto me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So Isaiah is saying there like, Lord, why are you coming to me? Why are you talking to me? I have a potty mouth, Lord. Like, I say bad things. And he is admitting that to the Lord. So I love that because it shows us how imperfect Isaiah was and how he was so aware of his flaws. And it goes on later where, you know, there's a coal and they touch his tongues from the coal from the altar. And I mean, I'm sure it's all symbolic of the Lord just, you know, healing him through repentance. He's repenting of his unclean lips and the Lord heals him through the atonement. And um, it's all symbolic of that. But I just love that story because I love finding those human moments where the people in the scriptures are not just superheroes, but they're human too. And in this case, I love learning this about Isaiah because in the middle of his craziness this week, some of the stuff he wrote about, um, just learning that this great prophet of the Lord not only saw the Lord, but confessed to him that he had a potty mouth was kind of just an awesome story for me. So I just always really love that that story. So, all right, with that, I'm going to end this week's episode. I hope you guys have a fantastic week. I hope you keep learning about the scriptures and I hope you keep coming closer to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Bye y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. You can also find me on Instagram comments or question, email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.